Good morning, Christchurch Midrand. Um, it's another Sunday in lockdown, and that means another Sunday of church at home. And it's exciting to have you jo- join us this morning uh, with um, in our service. And today we're going to uh, be continuing in our series where we're learning that Jesus is better. Uh, what an exciting thing to um, be hearing from God's word about. Um, and we're going to be singing together, hearing from uh, our church family members as well. Uh, So why don't I pray for us as we start off our service uh, this morning. Let's bow and pray. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Uh, Thank you uh, for sustaining us. Uh, Thank you that we uh, get to hear from your word. Uh, And I do pray that you would stir something in our hearts um, as as we hear the message of Jesus and just how better he is uh, for us. Uh, This we pray in his name. And for our good. Amen. Good morning, Church at Home. Our first song this morning teaches us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And if we are part of his family, we can find our identity in him. This morning we sing to the Lord Jesus, I am who you say I am. And we know that he has said we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We were once far off, but we are now brought in to the household of God. So we sing this morning in Zulu, English and Afrikaans just as a small taste of what it will be like in heaven one day when every tribe and nation and tongue will worship before the throne of God. And then we go on to Ancient of Days, which reminds us that though the nations rage, though kingdoms rise and fall, that there is still one king reigning over all. Bengapan kutu soman lang gangam kila Ganga kile wanson de zutando la ke kimi Utando la ke kimi There's a place for me I'm a child 
Good morning, Christchurch. My name is Lance, and we'll be spending some time together in prayer. We'll start with the prayer of Psalm 95, the words of which will appear on screen. Please say it with me. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him in thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Please bow your heads as we continue to pray, to pray for us. O God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Great I Am, we are humbled and are overflowing with great joy of having you and knowing you as God and for the privilege and honor of coming before you in praise, worship, and thanksgiving. We are grateful for the blood of Christ for making this possible, that in faith we can look to you and call upon your holy name, the name that we know and declare to be blessed and above all other names. We are so glad that you are everything that we are not and nothing like we are. And so we can securely put all our faith in you and nothing else. May our insignificance be an attestation of your greatness, our continued existence an attestation of your faithfulness, our sinful nature an attestation of your holiness and righteousness, our half-heartedness towards you an attestation of your great mercy. And may your coming from heaven to dwell among us be an attestation of our helplessness to draw closer to you, and may the cross open our eyes to realize our wretchedness and wickedness in our hearts, but also testify of your never-ending, unchanging, perfect, and incomprehensible love. May it also testify of your amazing grace, your great victory, and your balancing of the scale we so carelessly tipped in our rebellion that left us outweighed by our sin and thus separated from you and condemned to death. Mighty God, your son gladly and willingly did what no one would dare to even consider asking. He traded places with us. 
leaving us vindicated and reconciled to you while he was separated from you and punished for all the sins of the entire world, thus sparing us from your wrath, which we provoked and justly deserved. We rejoice in his ultimate victory, as his great sacrifice and obedience was greatly rewarded, and he is seated on high with you on your right hand, crowned king over all, forever, and to him we bow and submit fully to his kingship. Mighty God, currently we are confronted by the tribulation of the pandemic, which has exacerbated our daily struggles in many different ways all over the world. But we are comforted by your word, which reminds us that this is not our home, and the best is yet to come, and we have that to look forward to. Until then, by your grace, please grant us the courage, wisdom, and the strength to face the challenges of each day, because this too shall pass. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you and not the distractions of this world. And may your holy name be glorified forever. Fill us, God, with compassion to care for one another in the different ways you have blessed us to grow your kingdom and represent you to the rest of the world as your disciples. For you alone are the only hope for all humankind. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We humbly submit ourselves to you and commit our lives in your care, now and forever. Amen. Well, good morning once again, and I hope that you've been uh, enjoying and been blessed by uh, our service. Later on, we're going to hear from God's Word. But before we do that, I just have a few family news to bring um, to our attention. And the big thing that I want you to know uh, about is hashtag join the family. Um, that's an exciting way for you to be part of what we're doing here as a redeemed family of Seventh on Mission. Now, there's a few things uh, on hashtag join the family. The first one being um, our live groups. Uh, if you haven't joined one of our live groups, if you're not part of any live group uh, in our, our, our church, I'd encourage you to um, to do that. Uh, so straight after this service, um, there'll be a, a details of on 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 the screen of how you can join a live group in your area. Uh, so I'd encourage you to do that uh, if you want to experience a life here in the family. Join um, a live group. Uh, and the other thing is that there will be a link at the bottom of the uh, description of the video here that you can follow and, and, and find the details of a live group leader in your area. One of the cool things that the live group leaders do after service is um, a coffee hangout. Uh, so pretend like you are at church and you're going into the veranda, you're having coffee, uh, you're discussing the sermon, praying together, catching up. Uh, so that's the second thing I want to encourage you to do. Straight uh, after the service, uh, you can join one of our live groups as they uh, hang out for coffee um, after the service. Uh, the third thing is that as a church family, we're going through the book of Hebrews together. Uh, so please uh, go onto our church at home. Uh, on our website, and there you can find the Bible reading plan. We post one every week uh, and join the family as we read uh, the book of Hebrews um, together. The last thing is that uh, we want to see and be encouraged by the rest of the family. Uh, so one of the things that um, we want you to do is uh, to take a picture of yourself and your family um, um, of you guys watching or, uh, and participating in church at home and then send it to Gareth Meggs uh, and the details uh, will be at the bottom of the, of the screen as well. So send him 
through those pictures of uh, or short videos of yourself participating uh, in uh, one of our services. Um, the last thing is um, is that as a family, we do care a lot about you. Uh, now at this point, we not and we cannot meet physically, so we don't know who, what you need uh, and some of the things that you're going through. So if you are in need, um, if you are uh, facing some kind of situation and you'd like to get um, uh, that information to us, please go onto our church at home uh, and click pastoral care. Um, that is in our website, church at home, pastoral care, and uh, go uh, punch in the details of what you need help with uh, or prayer with, uh, and we'll get somebody to contact you. Uh, so please don't struggle alone. Uh, join the family we are with you. Uh, please let us know if there's anything uh, that you need. Um, I do hope that you'll enjoy the rest of this service. Morning, church. My name is Baby, one of the Grief Share facilitators. I'm here to talk about Grief Share. Grief Share is a Christ-centered and biblically-based program designed to support and comfort families who are grieving the loss of their loved ones. It is a place where grieving people find healing and hope. With Grief Share, you learn to walk the journey from mourning to joy. Grief Share comprises of three components, namely a video seminar featuring top experts on the grieving process, all of whom are Christians who have experienced loss of loved ones themselves. Each weekly session discusses a different topic. A group discussion of topics of the video in a small group during which you choose to share your story, pain, and emotions. No pressure for anyone to share, read the Bible, or pray loud. A workbook for personal study, reflection, and weekly journaling of your grief work. Grief is not a course, so anyone can join at any time. It is like an emergency response team. For your convenience, we started two online classes on Sundays, one at 14 hours, another at 16 hours. The 14 hours class started at session one, and the 16 hour class will be continuing the grief share program that was in session before lockdown. I thank you. Good morning, family. My name is Raphael, one of the pastors here at Christ Church Midrand. It's so great to be together this morning for church at home. And now it's time for us to serve God through our giving. And two ways we can do it. We can do it through EFT or we can do it through SnapScan. Both the EFT banking details and SnapScan barcode will be on the screen. And while we do that, let me just remind you and remind us all that it's a great privilege for all of us in whichever capacity God has blessed us to be able to give toward his work as we grow his kingdom and as we make disciples of Jesus Christ. But also let me tell you that we really value and appreciate all your generosity toward God's work and pray that God will continue to bless you in so many ways as we all grow together his kingdom. Enjoy the rest of the service.
Good morning, church family. By now the names Ahmed Aubrey, George Floyd, Christian Cooper, and Collins Causa will be familiar to most of us. And those four names have no doubt caused an enormous amount of pain. Those four stories have caused an enormous amount of pain and suffering and turmoil, both abroad in the States and here at home. So what then is the proper and appropriate, the right and fitting Christian response at a time like this? How should we as a church be responding? Well, I think it's fair to say that now is not the time for reasons and explanations. Now is not the time for the tracing out of causes. Now is not the time for opinions. Now is not the time even for good theology or Bible verses. Now is the time for presence, just for presence. Now is the time to stand in solidarity with those who are suffering. And of course, any of us who, if we are human, any of us who have looked at those stories and considered the details of those stories, the stories behind the names, will be deeply moved by what has happened, by this terrible injustice perpetrated against these four black men. All of us will be deeply moved by those stories. But no doubt our black brothers and sisters in our midst are the ones who are going to be feeling it acutely in ways that the rest of us just can't even begin to understand. And so, as I said, now is not the time for words. Now is the time for presence. Now is the time to weep with those who are weeping. We don't want to be speaking at a time like this, but we do want to be praying. And so I'm going to hand over to David, and he's going to commit all of this, all of this to prayer. Thanks, David. Well, Chess uh, family, I'm just going to be uh, praying, uh, and also in light of um, our identity as a redeemed family um, of seven, to do what uh, Royden has just said, to be present uh, and to depend on God in prayer. So why don't we do that? Now, uh, Father, we uh, do praise you uh, that despite uh, the brokenness of this world, uh, you are a God who's bringing uh, every nation uh, under the Lordship of Jesus. Uh, so at this point, uh, we want to pray, Lord. Uh, we want to uh, cry out to you um, and weep to you. Uh, and we do pray that you would hear us in our distress, um, that you would answer us. Um, we pray that the church would be a beacon of light and hope um, and a strong presence uh, in times like this. We do pray, Lord, uh, that as a redeemed uh, family of servants on mission, uh, we would, Lord, um, display uh, the compassion of Jesus uh, at this time. Uh, so we do pray that now more than ever, uh, you'd unite us uh, in our struggle in pushing against darkness and inequalities in our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these things we pray in his name and for the good of our world. Amen. Good morning, family. Our Bible reading for today is chosen from the book of Hebrews chapter 3 from verse 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brothers, 
You will share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Good morning, everybody. Once again, it's lovely to be with you this morning at Church at Home, Christ Church Midrand. For those who are new, my name is Martin. I'm the rector of Christ Church Midrand. It's actually Thursday afternoon, and uh, Proud, who's looking after me, has just sanitized the table and the chair. He's, uh, he's got his mask on, and uh, we're all in very good hands here. We've just been talking and praying, Royden and David, for some very serious matters, and um, those are those are so important that uh, we pray for these things. But I want to now pray that the Lord will perhaps clear our minds and our hearts, not that we are divorced from the world, but that God may feed us and God may draw near to us and God may comfort us and teach us so that we may be his instruments of change in this world. So we're coming to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. Let me first pray and ask God to meet with us by his Spirit as we read his word. So let's pray together. Father, we do pray that as we meet together, as you are present with us by your Spirit, as you speak to us through your word, that we will indeed hear the voice of God and that you may change our lives, our hearts, our minds so that we may be faithful servants of Christ wherever you have placed us. So will you speak to us and deal with us? And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, if you are new with us this morning, we're continuing our study in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're in chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. It's been read to you. Uh, just to just to explain that we've been working through the book of Hebrews, and um, if you've missed any of the talks, you may pick them up on uh, Church at Home or on YouTube so that you don't miss out on, on uh, any of the talks because they all flow from one another. So what we do in our church uh, week by week is that we come to God's word. We pray that God's spirit will open up the word to us. And we believe that as we read the word of God, as we study the word of God, as we are taught from the word of God, that God through his spirit speaks to us and we hear the voice of God. So the Bible is God's word written. And that's why we work through it systematically. And that's what we do. We, uh, God has given us his word in certain letters or books, and so we work through those books. We work through a number of chapters systematically so that, so that we can follow the argument that is being presented to us. And more than anything else, we want to hear the voice of God. 
Let me just say that's one of the marks of a Christian. The marks of a Christian, one of the marks of a Christian is that you want to hear God's voice. And um, so you can actually check whether you're a Christian. If you've uh, neglected God's word, you haven't been able to go to life group, you haven't been able to attend church at home or come to church, you haven't, for whatever reason, haven't been reading the word of God, there should be a longing in your heart. And not just a longing, you should actually feel miserable. Because you are spiritually unfed. You are spiritually malnourished. You are spiritually weak. That's the mark of a Christian. We feed on God's word. And when we don't get God's word, we should feel weak. And we should feel miserable. So perhaps perhaps the answer to some of your struggles is that you haven't actually been sitting under the authority of God's word and listening to your father's voice. So when you listen to your father... Any good father will do two things. Positively, he'll encourage you, he'll support you, he'll help you. Uh, Negatively, he may correct you. He may, uh, there's an element of training, of discipline. So the Puritan preachers used to say that it's the duty of a preacher to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So my prayer has been that as we come to God's word this, this morning, that for all of us, he may comfort the afflicted. We are all inflicted in one way or the other. But also that he will afflict us where we are comfortable, so that we may turn back to him. Well, let's dig in. Three questions I'm going to use to help us unpack this short passage, chapter 3, 1 to 6. It's just been read to us. Three questions. To whom is he writing? Question number two. To whom is he pointing? And then thirdly, so what must we do? So those three questions are going to help me and perhaps help you as we try to understand what God is saying to us through this this passage. There are no side roads, so let's dig in straight away. Question number one, to whom is he writing? And there are two parts to the answer. The first is quite obvious there, chapter 3, verse 1. He's writing to Christians, to believers. He says, therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling. So he's talking here about the status, the identity of a Christian, that you are in Christ. He calls us holy brothers. Remember last week we looked at chapter 2, verse 11. Have a look at that. Just look back a page or so. Chapter 2, verse 11. Jesus says that he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. I mean, that's extraordinary, isn't it? Remember last week. How amazing. That Jesus should be our brother, our older brother, our perfect brother, and he's not ashamed to be our brother. Let me just, uh, let me just say a quick aside here. The word there, brothers, in the Greek, uh, it's a neuter word or a generic word, which means brothers and sisters. So he's not just talking to brothers. He's talking about brothers and sisters. It's pretty much the same in, in Hebrew. So remember Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God made man in the Hebrew. God made man in his image, male and female. He created them. So the word there in the Hebrew for man is generic. It means male and female. You have that, you have that in Afrikaans. Uh, um, where where someone uh, walks in a room and says, and we all know who the yellow is. It's everyone in the room. 
it's a it's a neutral word now the only way to become a brother of jesus is to become holy therefore holy brothers and sisters now the word holy there isn't so much talking about our practice it's talking about our position it's our status our standing before god remember chapter 2 verse 17 that we are made holy before God because Jesus Christ was a propitiation for the sins of his people. Propitiation, remember from last week, is a wonderful Bible word. It means to set aside the wrath of God, to quench the wrath of God on our behalf. And because of that, we are forgiven in God's sight. We are holy in God's sight. So we are holy. Our status, our identity is that we are holy in God's sight because of what Christ has done for us. Our sin has been placed upon Christ and the righteousness of Christ has been placed upon us. Last week I had a funeral at uh, West Park Cemetery and... Um, funeral uh, was held at the graveside because of the, the circumstances we are in. Um, there was a small number of family and friends. And um, normally when there's an opportunity, I try to talk to the undertaker. So after the service, when uh, people were just quietly reflecting and starting to talk to one another, uh, the undertaker was standing next to me, so I asked him his name. His name was Lawrence. And um, uh, I said, my name is Martin. He said, he's Lawrence. I said, how long have you been doing this job? He was with uh, with Dubs. He said, only a year or two. And uh, we talked about where he lived and where he came from. And uh, then I asked him, which I often ask undertakers, I say, do you believe in God? Uh, you're involved with death almost every day. And he said, yes, I do. And I said to him, are you a Christian, Lawrence? And he said, he said, he said, Pastor, I'm trying to be. And I said to him, Lawrence, you know that that's impossible. You can't try to be a Christian because you'll never be good enough. You must stop trying to be a Christian and stop, start trusting in Jesus. And what he's done for you on the cross. So we are holy not because of what we do. We are holy because of what Christ has done for us. So if someone was to ask me, Martin, are you holy? I would say, well, yes and no. Positionally, absolutely, I am holy because Christ has died for all my sin. When God looks down, he doesn't see Martin Morrison the sinner. No, he sees the righteousness of Christ, the perfection of Christ, the holiness of Christ. In practice, sadly, I fall short, and that's why I need to ask God to wash me and cleanse me every day. So, question here is, to whom is he writing? Well, he's writing to Christians, holy brothers and sisters, and he also tells us who they are. They share in a heavenly calling. So we understand as Christians that this world is not our home. We understand as Christians that our hope is not in this world. 
Our hope is not in the institutions of this world, in the fortunes of this world. I mean, thank God for that. I mean, how miserable you would be if your hope was in earthly things, if your hope was in this world. Now, our hope is not in an earthly kingdom. In fact, I think that's sometimes why, why old people become bitter, become cynical. Because their hope has been in this world. And it has desperately disappointed them. No, says the author of Hebrews. Holy brothers and sisters, one of the marks of a Christian is that we share in a heavenly calling. Chapter 11 says we are living presently in tents. But one day we look forward to a heavenly city whose foundations are made by God, built by God. And so our ultimate hope is not in an earthly Jerusalem, but in a heavenly Jerusalem. So a true Christian is not too attached to this world. We are to be salt and light. We are to make a difference. But we don't put our hope in this world. No, we are holy brothers and sisters. We share in a heavenly calling. We live in the light of eternity. The second part to whom he is writing is that, as we saw from, from, from last week, he's writing to genuine Christians, but Christians who are starting to lose their footing. They're tempted to drift away. So we get that here from the context in, in Hebrews. So remember chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Chapter 3, uh, verse 6b, our passage this morning. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast in our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So they tempted to let go. They tempted not to hold fast. Chapter 3, verse 7, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. They were tempted. These Christians, these holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, were nonetheless tempted to drift away. They were nonetheless tempted not to hold fast. They were tempted to harden their hearts. Chapter 3, verse 7, They were tempted to go astray in their hearts, to disobey God's command. I think the people that Hebrews is writing to, the readers, the original readers, would have fitted in well once again in that parable by Jesus of the sower. So remember that parable where uh, it's the parable of the seed. And Jesus is the sower and the seed is the word of God and there are four kinds of soils. And, and remember the second kind of soil was a rocky ground. And the seed fell, it sprang up, it grew, but there wasn't much soil, so when the sun came out, it scorched it, and um, it had no root, and it withered, it died. And Jesus says, those are people who hear the word of God, and immediately they receive it with joy, but there's no root. So they endure for a while, but when there's tribulation, when there's trouble, when there's persecution because of the word... They fall away. Perhaps the second soil is a good example of the kind of people that the author of Hebrews was writing to. Here's a, here's a young Jewish Christian man, perhaps living in Rome, come to faith in Christ from Judaism. 
and uh, not finding life all that easy. There's persecution from his family. Um, he actually thought that, uh, that he could have Judaism and Christianity. He could hang on to both, but he can't. The tension has become unbearable. So he's tempted to drift away. He's tempted to fall away. And the devil whispers in his ear and says, you don't need to be so fanatical, do you? I mean, what are your friends going to say at school? What are your uncles going to say? Now, we've all been there, haven't we? That excruciating pressure, the tension to conform, the fear of man, to go with the flow and ultimately to deny God, to deny Christ. Many years ago, I was involved in a church up north, um, I had oversight of the church up in Limpopo. It was a white church, and there were all kinds of problems and difficulties, and uh, we were trying to deal with them over the phone, over email. Eventually, I went up there to to meet with the congregation. They were they were actually angry with me, so we had a meeting. We had a members' meeting in the church the one evening. I drove up. And um, they started asking me questions, which I had to respond to. And then someone piped up and said, what is, the, what is the church's position on Freemasons? Now, I knew that that was an issue in the church, that there were members of Freemasonry in the church, some of the leaders. And I took a deep breath. And while I was taking the breath, someone said, be careful, there's a lot of us here. Uh, that wasn't very helpful. And it's the kind of context where you can't, you can't say, well, let's discuss, let's, um, let, let's start with Jesus. So it's not the kind of where you can say, well, let's do a study in Mark's gospel. You've actually got to answer the question. And um, so I had to be quite clear. I said, uh, they said, what is, the, what is the church's position on Freemasonry? And I said, well, the church's position on Freemasonry, talking about reach SA, is the same as the Orthodox Church has been over hundreds of years. And that is that you cannot be a Christian and a Freemason. Well, that, uh, that went down well, as you can imagine. And... Um, when everyone calmed down, I said there's a number of issues, and I'm not an expert, but I do have a problem with, with, uh, with an organization that operates in secret. Surely Christians don't work in secrets. Surely we work in the light. But I said my main problem, actually, is that we don't worship the same God. The reading that I've done, the God of Freemasonry, is not the God of the Bible. God of Freemasonry is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And ultimately, you cannot be a Christian and a Freemason. Well, we had, we had chaos, as you can imagine. And um, 
It was pretty chaotic. Someone had to end the meeting without any further discussion or anything. At the end of the evening, no one greeted me, no one thanked me, no one shook my hand. But that is the truth. You can't, you can't have Jesus and somebody else. You can't have Jesus and angels. You can't have Jesus and Moses. You can't have Jesus and Freemasonry. You can't be a Christian or claim to be a Christian and worship some other god or idol. And that was the temptation of the readers of Hebrews. Remember that great song by Bob Dylan. I've quoted this to you before. I love Bob Dylan. Uh, my family don't think so much of him, but uh, I think he's wonderful. And uh, just by the way, I'm in good company because he did win a Nobel Prize for Literature in 2016. So next time you criticize Bob Dylan with me, I'm going to ask you, when last did you win your Nobel Prize? Here is what Bob Dylan said, and he gets it right. It's a song called Gotta Serve Somebody. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir. Might like to wear cotton, might like to wear silk, might like to drink whiskey, might like to drink milk, might like to eat caviar, you might like to eat bread. You may be sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king-size bed, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. All right, first principle, to whom is he writing? Second, to whom is he pointing? Let me read again from verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that was, were to be spoken later. So the question is, to whom is the author pointing? And the quick answer, verse 1, it's quite obvious, to Jesus alone. And the key word there is the word alone. So, so some of his original readers were tempted to have Jesus and angels. We saw that in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Here in chapter 3, they're not tempted to have Jesus and angels. They're not tempted to have Jesus and Freemasonry. No, they're tempted to have Jesus and Moses. You see, to the Jews in those days, there was none greater than Moses. 
Well, of course, he led them out of slavery as, as a nation state out of Egypt. He led them through the Red Sea. He led them through the wilderness. He brought them the law. He brought them the Ten Commandments. He read, led them right up to the Promised Land. So to ancient Jews, Moses was far greater than all the other Old Testament prophets. To the Old Testament prophets, God had spoken in visions and dreams, but to Moses, he had spoken mouth to mouth. So Moses was ranked higher than all the other prophets. He was ranked higher than the angels. So William Barclay says, I quote, he says, To the Jew it would have been impossible to conceive that anyone ever stood closer to God than Moses did. And yet that is precisely what the writer of the Hebrews set out to prove. End of quote. Now it's important to notice here that the author doesn't knock Moses. He doesn't diss Moses. Not at all. No, Moses was God's man, God's instrument. God had appointed Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. So indeed, verse 2, Moses was faithful in God's house. But the author says, verse 3, Jesus is more faithful. Jesus is more worthy. Why? Well, verse 5, notice there, Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. Verse 6, but Jesus was faithful over God's house, not as a servant, but as a son. Verse 3, Moses was a servant in the house. He was part of the house. But Jesus is the builder of the house. And of course the builder is far bigger than the house itself. Now this morning we had a, we had a staff meeting, that's Thursday morning, uh, on uh, Zoom, and um, uh, David Kabedi had uh, sent round uh, a photograph of the leather work that he's been doing. And uh, he sent round this beautiful sling bag. Uh, I think it was, was holding a laptop. And picture of, pictures of other leather work. Magnificent. And I was, I was, I mean, it was extraordinary. Because I had no idea that David was a leather craftsman making this beautiful stuff. In fact, I was, I was, I was kind of shocked because, you know, David and Kate come from Rusten, from Rustenburg. I mean, does anything good come from Rustenburg? Just, just joking, guys. Just joking. Now, of course, David is bigger than his leather craftswork. So, Jesus is bigger than Moses and the building, because he built the building. In fact, we told there, verse 5, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. So he was particularly faithful because he pointed to Jesus. He tested, Notice there, he testified to the things that were to be spoken later. That later is Jesus. In fact, John 5, in John's Gospel, chapter 5, Jesus says to the Pharisees who practically worshipped Moses, he said, you've set your hope on Moses, good. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Just as an aside, when we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament and the relationship between the two, 
We're not saying that the Old Testament is inferior to the New Testament. We are not saying that the Old Testament is replaced by the New Testament. No, we are saying that the Old Testament is promise and the New Testament is fulfillment. So Moses structured the sacrificial system. Moses gave order to the priesthood. Moses built the tabernacle, which then later led to the temple. Jesus is a fulfillment of that. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the final high priest. Jesus is our temple, our tabernacle. Again, verse 5, Moses was faithful. Why? Because he testified to the things that were to be spoken later, which is Jesus. But even more, notice verse 1, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. It's the only place in the New Testament where Jesus is called an apostle. The word apostle means to be sent out, the sent out ones, like an ambassador, sent out to speak on behalf of his country. So Jesus is God's apostle, sent out to speak on behalf of God. So we know from chapter 1, verse 2, that Jesus is the final word from God. There are no more words. No more words are needed. But not only is he the final apostle, the final word, but he's also the final high priest. And we remember from chapter 2, verse 17, the final high priest, Jesus, presents the final sacrifice, Jesus, as a final propitiation for our sins. The price is paid. The wrath is quenched. The job is done. Perfect. Jesus, the final word and the final work. By the way, you must never divorce those two. When you divorce those two, you will lose both. He's the final word, no more word is needed, and he's the final work, no more work is needed. If one wobbles, the other will wobble. They belong together. The final word, the final work. It's perfect. It's good to go. Now let me try and apply this to ourselves, because most of us are not prone to combine a worship of Jesus with angels, or to worship Jesus and Moses. Um, perhaps there is someone here listening who may be a Freemason. Well, you do need to work through the Bible very carefully, work through the Gospels carefully. Because you can only know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only God that there is, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you actually can't be a Freemason and a Christian. That's a contradiction in terms. It's one or the other. You see, what we have here is a certain subtlety. The readers are not against Jesus. They're not opposed to Jesus. All they are saying, almost unconsciously, is Jesus is not enough. He's not sufficient. We need Jesus plus. Jesus plus angels. Jesus plus Moses. Jesus plus circumcision. And that has been a tendency within the church for ages, for generations. The idea that salvation is found in Jesus plus religion, or Jesus plus church attendance, Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus tithing, Jesus plus fasting. I remember Frank Rutiff, uh, many of you will remember, told the story of going to see a man who was from the church who was dying. And he went to see him at home, and he was lying in bed. 
and Frank uh, shared the word of God with him. And uh, he said, before we, before we pray, he said, my brother, if God were to ask you why he should let you into his heaven, what would you say? And the man very slowly leant across to the little table next to his bed and he drew out the, drew out the drawer and he put his hand and he took his old Bible. He brought out his Bible and he opened the Bible and he took out this old crumpled baptismal certificate. You see, that's, that's Jesus plus church, Jesus plus religion, Jesus plus works. My dear friends, it's never Jesus plus anything. Whenever you add something to Jesus, you are actually saying that Jesus is not sufficient. He's not good enough. So your identity as a Christian, back to verse 1, is not found in angels or Moses. It's not found in religion. Your identity is not found in these things. It's not found in another person, be it Moses or anyone else. No, your identity is found in Christ. Christ plus nothing. There may be some listening to, listening, watching the service this morning. You may be single. Perhaps you've never married. Perhaps you divorced. Perhaps you have lost your, your husband, your wife. And you, perhaps you think, perhaps you think that if only I had a, had a boyfriend, a girlfriend, if only I had a husband or wife, I'd be fulfilled. My dear friends, good and right as those things may be, our identity is not found in those things. Ultimate safety and security is not found in those things. We are not defined by those things or by the lack of those things. Now, our identity is in Christ. We are defined by being in Christ. Let me read to you from Becky, um, Becky Pippert. She's a great author and, and a great evangelist, brilliant evangelist, brilliant author. Her first book that she wrote was called Out of the Salt Shaker. And uh, this is a book called Hope Has Its Reason. She's just published last, last month in May a brand new book called uh, Stay Salt. And uh, if, you want to, if you want to be more effective in sharing your faith, then uh, go and buy Becky Pippet. She is quite brilliant. And she's a brilliant evangelist. She tells a wonderful story in this book, which I want to read to you. And um, let me read, I quote, My friend was suffering through the trauma of having been jilted by her lover. She thought she had found the love of all loves, but it failed. She told me it didn't fail because I took my relationship with him too lightly. Rather, I asked too much of it. I thought that once I found the right person to love, everything else would fall into place. And for a while it did. I thought love had finally conquered my lifelong problems with anger and distrust. Eventually, however, my dark side reared its head again. I hadn't changed as much as I had hoped when my old problems emerged, he began to back away. So I started clinging more, demanding more, all my fears and anxieties that he wouldn't love me, that he'd reject me for someone else, kept edging into the relationship. I banked all my need for love in him and told him so. He couldn't bear the weight of it. 
I longed for him to solve all my problems, meet all my needs. I wanted him to give ultimate meaning and purpose to my life so I wouldn't be left alone. He told me no one could sustain the pressure of being a god for someone else. I feel like I'm made to run on the fuel of love, but the minute I get in a relationship, I start to make him my center, my god, and the relationship crumbles. So I'm alone again, wondering why my immense wish to be loved can't be gratified. Why do I carry such a hunger when it can never be met? It all feels like a sick joke. And Becky answers her and says, your need for love is not a sick joke. You're meant to run on the fuel of love. But human love can never sustain that pressure. You see, any God substitute, be it angels or Moses or a person, will always fail you, will always disappoint. They can't bear the weight. No person can meet your every need. It's impossible. And for that person, frankly, it's exhausting. No created thing can give ultimate identity or purpose or love or meaning. Only the, only the creator can do that. So, in fact, the readers of Hebrews are on the brink, the original readers, are on the brink of a worship disorder. They're starting to worship the wrong things. Only God in Christ and Christ alone can give us what we most need. Identity, purpose, love, meaning. Well, let me close with, with the last question. Number one, to whom is he writing? Number two, to whom is, is he pointing? Number three, so what must we do? Well, have a look at your, your passage. The answer is at the top and tail of our passage. Verse 6, he says, hold fast to your confidence in Jesus. Don't let go. Don't slacken your grip. No, hold tight. Hold fast. Verse 1, he says, consider Jesus. Now, in the original NIV, verse 1 says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. So it's the idea of focusing, concentrating, applying your mind onto Jesus. So in Eastern meditations or Oprah meditations, we are told to empty our minds and to repeat some mantra. The author of Hebrews says, no, don't empty your mind. Fill your mind. Fill your mind with Jesus. Fix your thoughts, your focus, your concentration on Jesus, who he is and what he's done, so that you don't drift away, so that you don't fall away, so that you don't harden your heart and disobey. Perhaps as we've been working through this passage this morning, you have felt, perhaps you felt he's talking to me. I feel as if I'm drifting away. I feel as if I'm falling away. In fact, I'm tempted to stop trusting in God. Things are rough. I'm not coping all that well in this present context. I'm tempted to stop believing in God, stop obeying God. Let me say to you, you're actually in very good company. Because you won't believe it. That's exactly what Jesus felt. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 18. Remember that in the original, there's no chapter divisions. There's no headings. Chapter 2, verse 18 is part of chapter 3, 1 to 6. It's part of the same argument. And um, 
was actually last night, Jean drew my attention to, to verse 18. She said to me, what does verse 18 mean? I said, I don't know. She said, you preached on it. I said, well, it's such, it was such a long passage, I didn't get to the verse. And so I had a look at chapter 2, verse 18. Let me read that to you. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You get the same thing there in chapter 4. Just turn over to chapter 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So when you take this concept of temptation in the context of this passage, of course Jesus was tempted like we are with pride and envy and hatred and lust and whatever, but he didn't sin. More than that, surely Jesus was tempted to fall away. Jesus was tempted to turn away from God's purpose. He was tempted to disobey God, especially when he considered the cross. So Jesus knows exactly the temptations, the struggles we have, and those tr struggles that are listed here in chapter 2 and 3 and 4. Remember in the night, in, in the garden in Gethsemane, his soul was, was deeply, deeply troubled. He prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Was that not a temptation to disobey the purposes that the Father, Son, and Spirit had planned before the beginning of time? Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus suffers the ultimate temptation of disobeying his Father. He was tempted in every respect that we are. But thankfully he resisted. He held fast. Not my will, but your will. So the author of Hebrews says, consider Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus, who was also tempted to turn away. But he held the line so that we could be saved. What a wonderful Savior. He even knows what it's like to be tempted to backslide. He even knows what it's like to be tempted to disobey God. So my dear sister, my dear brother, don't give up, don't give in, hold fast. Turn to this Jesus who understands better than you and I can ever imagine what you may be going through. Turn to him. Fix your eyes on him, and he will get you through. Well, let's pray.
Let's spend a few moments of quiet as we reflect on God's word. You may want to tell God where you are. Father, we thank you so, so much that when we turn to you with our doubts, our confusion, our struggles, when we turn to you, tempted not to turn to you, that you are there, that you know, that you understand, that your son has been tempted in every possible way that we have and understands infinitely more than we do the struggles of living in this broken world. So will you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus? Will you help us to hold fast to the author, the perfecter, the pioneer of our faith who's been through it all and who is now with you seated in glory. Lord, send your Holy Spirit upon us afresh. Empower us, refresh us, fill us with your Spirit, that we may once again serve you this week. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, thank you so much for persevering with me next week just to mention we're picking up chapter 3 from verse 7 onwards can i also just invite you my email will be on the screen martin m at christchurchmidran.co.za if you have any questions any comments uh, that you'd like to send to me please feel free to do that I'm so delighted and happy to be able to make contact with people who have questions. You may not even be a Christian and you have, may have questions about the Christian faith. Well, why don't you, why don't you email me? And uh, I'll be more than happy to get back to you. Thank you for being with us and may God bless you the rest of this Sunday.